And so Paul makes this statement. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you've died with Christ, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So, I want to just take a moment. The other thing the scripture does is the conclusion of the scripture is that you and I should be absolutely and totally devoted to him. We should. And then, so, then that, <laughs> that absolutely requires you and I to look in the mirror and say, am I? Am I totally devoted to him? Am I sold out for him? Am I completely dependent upon him? And then ask yourself if you can answer the question, and you would say, no, I'm not. Ask yourself why. Why? Ask yourself why. One of the things that I love about Job is that uh, if you're familiar, if you've read Job, because the Bible, what it does, it chronicles people. It, it chronicles every dynamic and demograph of people. The Bible very clearly uh, puts on view um, every person, wherever you could be, those that are completely devoted to God, those that are not devoted to God, those that are lukewarm, anybody and everything in between, the righteous, the unrighteous, who we serve, why we serve. He did. I mean, this is what he does. The scripture is very clear. And what I love about Job is that if you're familiar with his story, he lost everything. He lost his children in the twinkling of an eye. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And he was in great suffering. And the scripture says, in all this, he did not blame God. He did not blame God. And in fact, it says in, he didn't sin. He didn't blame God and he didn't sin. And then you see... Contrast that to someone like Judas, King Saul in the Old Testament. People that were anointed by God. Saul was set aside as the king of Israel, and it's maybe the, certainly one of the saddest stories in the, in the Old Testament. Set aside, anointed, ordained, put into a position of authority, witnessing the great hand of God as the king of Israel. And he died a terrible, terrible, heartbreaking death. You know the story of Judas. He walked with Jesus Christ for three years. Three years. And, and his life was hidden. His identity and value system was different 
His life was hidden, but not with Christ. He had a life, but it was not a life that was, Christ was not his life. Three years with him. Christ was not his life. He was not hidden with Christ. His identity and value system was not hidden with Christ. Three years with him. Could you imagine what one day would have been like with Jesus? One day, not three years, just one day. Could you imagine what it must have been like when he, he fed 4,000 and then again he would feed 5,000? Could you imagine what it must have been like to be in that boat in the midst of a storm and he'd speak a word and the storm would calm? Could you imagine healing a leper, healing somebody that's blind from birth? The lame would walk. They would leap. Could you imagine just the time that you would come up to Lazarus' tomb and, and a man who'd been dead and a stench of death on him would walk out alive? Could you imagine? Just a little time. And then Judas having three years with him, his life was not hidden with Christ. His life was not Christ. And his end was a horrific end. Now, the question then, what about you and me? As I said, when I use the term professing Christian, it means someone who is professing Christ, but that may be it. The demons profess Christ. And again, Jesus would say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will have a part with him in eternity. And so the Bible very clearly illustrates through people, individuals. And Paul just read a story about this Lazarus, this beggar, and a rich man. You're probably familiar in Luke 18, the story of a, a rich young man. He was a ruler of the people. Just two chapters over it. And, and he had a relationship with God. He was a professing God person. And he goes to the rabbi, the teacher, and says, teacher, good teacher, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. And he said, well, you know the commandments. Yeah, but which ones? Well, you got to, you know, honor your mother and father. You got to, oh, I've kept all those. Do I lack anything else? He said, yes, you do. You lack one other thing. The thing that you lack is what? The very thing that you lack is what your life is hidden in where you get your identity from, and where your value system is. What was it? Go and sell all your possessions and follow me. He, we found out real quick where his life was hidden, where his identity and his value system was. Says he went away sad because he was a man who owned much. That's, it's right there. And I just read three previous verses, and then you have the story of, and you just, the whole, it's, it's one contrast against another contrast, and the contrast is always, the measurement is that, who is your life hidden in, where's your identity, what's your value system, because God will not tolerate two. God only desires one. And God doesn't want 10% of your life 
or 50% of your life and your heart and your mind and your soul, or 80% of your heart and your mind and your life, your soul, or 99%, God not only requires, what, 100% of your devotion. Not some of it. We're going to look at a, We're going to conclude in just a moment out of Revelation because I think uh, Jesus speaking to the seven churches of Asia Minor, he very clearly illustrates this. But the challenge for you and I as the church is we need to ask, as a professing Christian, we need to ask ourselves, what do you think the goal of God's Word is? How does that apply to your life? Are you indeed hidden with Christ? Is your identity in Christ and Christ alone? Is your value system, what would you value more? What would you have a hard time giving up? And then, and then you can see it just very clearly on the basis of one thing, your dedication. What is it that you're dedicated to? What is it that I am devoted to? Now, I will say this, church. I... I believe with all my heart it's a lifelong thing. I don't, I don't think, I think as we grow spiritually and as our flesh dies, the thing that needs to happen, that should be happening, is not my personal level of obedience, my personal level of commitment and willfulness to be obedient, that, you know. But what Jesus would say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That as we grow and we begin to understand our life in light of everything that God has done for us, the question that he would ask me, Aubrey, what is it that prevents you from being devoted to me? Now, I could answer that question as a man. I could say, I could have dialogue with God just as Job did or Jeremiah did. Because Jeremiah had a, boy, Jeremiah said, God, It'd be cursed be the day I was born. It'd been better had I never been born. But then he would also say, he would come to the conclusion, ultimately at the end of the day, even though you said I would be the prophets, a prophet to the nations as a young man and, 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 and nothing has turned out the way I thought it would, nothing. My supposed friends are betraying me, turning their back on me. I'm, I, I'm having to run and fear for my life and and. And yet you, you appointed me a prophet to the nations. And, and he would say, God, you've become like a deceptive stream to me. God, cursed be the day I was born. That's a dialogue, isn't it? But his conclusion after, after many years of suffering and, and serving as this prophet to the nations, he would go later on in his life, he would say, Oh, my, it has been so hard. This thing has been so difficult. But I will say to you one thing. If I were not to speak the words of God, my bones would turn to wax. My bones would turn to wax. Because through a lifetime of serving God, loving him, being devoted to him, he began to understand that his life was not his. His life, there's a big problem. Many of us think our life is ours. Your life and my life is not ours. It's his. He never has given up ownership. He, he established ownership. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He gave you the breath of life. And never at one point did he say, I'm giving up my ownership of you and your soul. 
It's not my life, and it's not your life. It's always been his life. Satan would have you believe otherwise. You can, all you have to do is turn to the garden to see that. He is the owner of your soul. And so Jeremiah would come to the conclusion. He would say, oh my. Oh my, my sufferings have been great. I didn't really understand what God had called me to do. It seemed as though it was a deception. But now, let me say to you, my bones would turn to wax if I could not proclaim the word of God. That's devotion. Job, in the midst of all of his suffering, he would say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he lives. I know he lives. And I not only know that he lives, but I know that I'm going to see him one day. Great devotion in the midst of great suffering. Peter and James would both write to the first century church about, listen, you, you as a church, you need, to, you, need to, you need to count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations and persecutions because God is doing something. Now, I have to say to you, my question is, so understanding you being your life hidden in Christ is he your life? Let's, now let's contrast. Have you thought about this? That God's identity is hidden in you. And he values you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Our life is hidden with Christ. Our life is Christ. Conversely, I would say to you, if you don't, all you got to do is walk up to the cross, if you could ever get there, and, and just imagine God's value system, his identity. What is his identity? What does he value? Every soul that he's ever given life to. He wrote to Peter, the scripture Peter writes, he said, you know, God is, he is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And he would that not one would perish. It's amazing to me as I hear preachers talk sometimes. They talk as though they almost wish someone would perish. As they identify huh, the fallibility and the curse of sin and all humanity, sometimes other humanity, but not their own humanity. Preachers do that. Christians do that. God would not that one would perish. He's hidden with his creation. He's devoted to his creation. Every living being, he would that not one would perish. Do you know the scripture says that you and I should not, we should not find joy in the death of a wicked man. It's right there in the Bible. You read it in Ezekiel. My question, and when we go to Revelation, go with me to the third chapter of Revelation. This is Jesus speaking to a church in Asia Minor. It's Laodicea. You ought to read them all. We're born. We're living. And all of a sudden, 
considering who we were born to or what community we were born into and all the influences, maybe my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my dad, uh, you know, being raised in Texas is probably a little different than being raised in Manhattan or Chicago or Detroit, probably. You, we have all these influences in our life. Um, we, the people that we value and we love and those influences. And they start to determine for us the things that we, what our life is hidden in and our value system. So my life is hidden in the expression of my life, the, the things that I identify with and the things that I value. And it could be anything. I, again, you don't need a list. It could just be anything. But we see it everywhere in advertising, the vehicles that people drive, where they want to live, how, what they esteem, the way they dress. I remember uh, years and years ago I was dating. I always think of this when I think of this passage. Uh, long before I was married, there was a young lady. She said to me, she goes, clothes are my life. I mean, she said it, and she meant it. She goes, clothes are my life. And uh, so that's just one application. But, but what about you and I? What is your life? Because all these influences that we have, that then shape us and they identify us. And, and, and then, then what do they do? They determine what's valuable to me. And then I spend a lifetime of pursuing it. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever your life is hidden with, whatever your identity is, whatever it is, fame, whatever, fortune, whatever, education, whatever it is. It could be, it could be religion. The greatest conspirers against Christ their life was hidden in religion. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, their life was hidden in religion. And when I use the term professing Christians, the one thing, the passage that always stands out to me is Paul's uh, statement in Romans 10 and 1. He said, there's people, they have a passion for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. I was told by professors many years ago that you're going to see the reality of that in every church you'll serve. There's always people, and there many times they're the ones that are serving. But you'll find out very quick where their identity and their value system is the minute they don't get their way. You'll find out real quick. Their life is not hidden in Christ. Their life is not Christ. It's the Romans 10. They have a zeal, but really it's all about them. Well, that was the Pharisees, and it's been a plague that has affected God's people in the New Testament church since its inception. So there are those. Again, the scripture demands an answer. Where's your life hidden? How you, really, what's your identity? What do you value? Rich young ruler, it was money. It was money. I wrote myself a note before we look at the text, thinking about Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. In the twinkling of an eye, things can change. I want you to consider something. Consider a time in your life where maybe things are pretty good. You're pretty happy. Things, you know, things are going pretty good. And something happens. Maybe it's the result of something you do. It could be the result of something else or someone else. And that moment of happiness is just taken from you. It could happen unexpectedly. Things are good. Work's good. 
money in the bank, kids are healthy, marriage is okay, and then something happens. And it's life-changing. It's life-changing. The marriage is falling apart. There's great anger and sadness in your life. It happened to Joe. And, and when it happens, everything that was good that you thought, this is good, this is, this is what makes a life good. Uh, we've worked hard and we've been honest and we've saved and we've amassed this and whatever it is. And something happens. And in the twinkling of an eye, it changes. Things are no longer good. The, the days go by and you think, oh, 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 God. I, 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 my goal today is just to make it through the next day, to make it through today. How long will this suffering endure? Did that ever happen to you? So I wrote this. I said, complete devotion. Complete devotion. To anything other than God will lead to disappointment. Complete devotion to anything other than God will lead to disappointment. So Paul just read about Lazarus, not the poor man, but the rich guy. Well, yes, the poor man, the beggar. There's a couple of Lazarus in the New Testament. Luke 16. That man was completely devoted to what? He was completely devoted to having feasts at his home. His wealth, dressing nice. Clothes were a part of his life, his own, his possession. He liked life, man. That man, that rich man liked life. He loved it, and then he died. I don't think he ever went to his grave. I don't think the man went to his grave with a sense of uh, disappointment. I don't. I don't think so. My opinion, I think, you know, he's lived his life. Life's good. I've got an IRA. I've lived good. i got good friends. I'm respected in my community. I'm in good standing. Man, I get he's got all this stuff going for me. Then he died. Maybe it was a heart attack. I don't know, but he died. Let me tell you what. His disappointment at that point to what he had been devoted for was now eternal, and it was eternal agony. So even though you, you may not see the eternal agony and disappointment of a wasted life here on earth, when you die and when I die, we, you will. We will. You may be so completely devoted to something other than being your life hidden with Christ, your life, your identity, your value, your life. You may be so completely, and you may have been so delusional, you've convinced yourself of the rightness of it. Well, how could this be wrong? And you just live in life on cruise control. There's people that learn how to do that. And they're even delusional enough to say, well, I'm at peace with God. On the basis of what? Something you've established? Or is it a life that is hidden with Christ? And your life is Christ. This is serious. Paul wrote the Thessalonians, there's people that they so love the lie that God gave them a powerful delusion. God gave them a powerful delusion. So let's go to Revelation. We'll conclude here. Third chapter, message to Laodicea. And to the angel, verse 14, of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful, and true witness. 
There's someone to be devoted to, folks. There's a cause. There's a life that should be hidden in the one that is the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. If, if whatever you're devoted to or whatever you find your identity in is not hidden in that, that person right there, the one who can say, I am the amen, I am the faithful and true witness, I am the beginning of the creation of God, that, now you can be devoted. Your life should be hidden in that, and this is what he says. This is what he says. This is what he says. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. Whatever your life is hidden in will determine uh, how hot or cold you are. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, the single biggest transition that I've seen in the last 20 years is Christianity. I'm just going to say it. I, I don't believe this was true. Maybe I wasn't completely aware of it. There has been a transition that is taking place. It's a gleaning. God is gleaning. Where Christianity, especially in America, I think more in America than anywhere else in the world, is that we're producing casual Christians. We're parents. We're producing lukewarm Christians. Their identity is not hidden in Christ. Their, their value system is not hidden in Christ. It's the world and Christ. It's the faithful and the unfaithful. It's the righteous and the unrighteous. It's all those things. And I believe this with all my heart. I've seen it in youth groups. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it in attitudes of, of, of the Christian community. It's a casual approach to Christianity. I blame it mostly on preachers, but then ultimately if you're an adult and you've got a fifth grade reading level, you're guilty too if that's who you are. This is life and death. This is eternity in agony or in paradise. And God will have nothing to do, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That is Jesus Christ speaking. That's not the words of Aubrey Rogers. You don't need somebody with a Bible degree to interpret that for you. But we've been taught, called to preach the Word of God. And if your life is not hidden in Christ, all that you uh, identify and value with, and it's a lukewarm deal, and it's not a growing deal, I talked about it. This is a growing thing. My life is far more hidden in Christ now than it was 30 years ago, and even literally two weeks ago. He is my life. Does that mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week? No, it does not. But I can tell you one thing. Because my life is hidden with Christ, and this is not about Aubrey, this is a challenge for you. I know that for me that premise is, I, listen, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing. 
I won't see my marriage outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I will not see my struggles outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I will not see my sin outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I will not see my temptation outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I will not see my help outside of him, Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I'm broken, if I'm beaten, if I'm in darkness, no matter what it is, I'm going to see Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to pray to Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to read about Jesus Christ and him crucified. He'll lead me to repentance. He'll lead me to brokenness. He'll lead me to a heart that yearns and needs him and cries out to him in my sin and my brokenness. And it's an ongoing thing because what I do know is just like Lazarus, there is a hell and there is a heaven and you're either going to be in heaven and or you're either going to be in hell. And if you're a professing Christian that is casually approaching your life with God, you can be sure, not me saying it, Scripture says I cannot say it, but the Scripture, the beginning, from the end, the faithful, he's saying it, it'll be an eternity in hell. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Why? You in church? You're the rich young ruler, Lazarus, the beggar, the rich man. You want to know why? Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You cannot serve mammon and God. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed because we are going to be, listen, you're either going to be revealed in glory, we just read it in Colossians, or you're not. And you may be under that powerful delusion. And maybe the powerful delusion that you're hidden is, is, your, is, is a sense that I'm rich. And if you live in America, you're rich. You're rich. According to the entire population of the world, I went ahead and checked the numbers again yesterday. If you are making more than $30,000 a year, you may not, it may not settle your heart in America, but you're rich. If you want to do a timeline back when Jesus said this, go ahead and do it. Now, we don't see that. And maybe in the hidden places of our mind, we say, you know, I'm, pre I mean, I'm pretty good, I'm rich. And he said, if that's your, where you're hidden, you better understand something. There's a pretty good chance that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this is, I, this is one of the few places in Scripture where Jesus says, let me give you some advice. The Greek word, you should topic this. He said, I advise you. I'm going to give you some advice. If you think you're rich, I'm, I'm going to give you some advice. You better buy something from him. You better buy something from him. Gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to know your eyes that you may see now, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. 
If you're being disciplined by God and reproved, it's because he loves you. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. All the things that you could buy from God, you'll never get them without repentance. And you'll never come to repentance until the word of God has penetrated your heart. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus was preached and the hearts were pierced and they said, what must we do? And, 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 and he said, repent. I was right here before you all this time. You have no excuse. You can be sure that I, God, your, my father is completely devoted to you. And those that heard it and received it, they were pierced in their heart and they repented. Now, here's the last thing. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm going to show you the door. I want you to imagine Jesus Christ. He's just giving you some advice. Here's his door. It's dramatic. By the way, he's never, for 2,000 years, he's been knocking that door. You wondering what Jesus has been doing? I'm going to tell you what Jesus has been doing. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And there's a door. And all he's doing, and what are we doing? We're driving down the road. We're going to the ball games. We're holding grudges in our heart. We're mad at somebody. Things ain't going my way. I don't like the preacher. Song leaders, I don't like the song she chooses. Well, my wife, my husband, people I work with, ill will in my heart. Come to a church and look at somebody in a church setting with malice in your heart. And he's just knocking. As he's just knocking. This is the door. Here's the door right here. This is the door. He stands at the door and knocks. He's just knocking. What are you doing? What are you doing? Your heart harder? You're a little mad? You're a little angry? Your little feelings hurt? You justify it? Maybe you... Maybe you Complicity, maybe you're comfortable in your sin. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Why? Because if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and will dine with him. And he with me, he who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me in my throne, on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you see that? He's not only going to invite you, he's going to feed you, and you get to sit with him on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the churches. So I... The question the scripture asks is, who's your life hidden with? Who is it? Who is your life? God takes no part with anybody that's lukewarm. If you can find anything in your life that can be devoted, if you find anything that leads to competition with your devotion to God, it could be your family. <laughs> the hardest teaching in the New Testament, Jesus said, unless you, unless you hate Hate your, he says it, that you hate your mother and your father. 
your own children, your wife, your husband. If you don't hate them, you'll have no part with him. Now, he don't want you to hate your mother and your father. He don't want you to hate your wife or your children. But if it means that your devotion to them is greater than him, you better hate them. Because all of eternity is dependent upon that. But you should love them so much in light of your life being hidden with Christ that you teach them not to be devoted to anything else but him. Do you love them that much? I don't know. He does. You should know. I've gone way over this morning. had a lot of passion in my heart about this. I've seen tragedy daily in the brokenness of this world, and I have witnessed in every level of our culture people chasing their tails like dogs, pursuing stuff that Solomon says is vanity, life hidden in foolishness and a life with something, but it's not Christ. And it could be religion. It could be anything. So I ask you again to consider it's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. There'll be a time when the knocking's over. He said he didn't know when. He said only his Father in heaven knows. There's a time when he's not, this is going to end. And uh, heavens will open. And he will be revealed with a host And there will be a final judgment. And it will all depend upon who is your life hidden with? Who's your life? Let's pray. Father in heaven, if there's anything wrong in us, Father, if we, anything at all, if we've got malice in our heart, if we've got anger, if we're, if we've got deception, Father, if we, please make it clear to us. If we value anything more than you, Father, please remove that from us. Discipline us in such a way that, that we become so broken, Father, that we just desire you in your way. We want nothing more other than you, Father, in your way. We ask that you increase our devotion and our heart to you so that we could see no man as an enemy. Our devotion, Father, is lacking if we see a man, any man, any woman, if we despise them and have created, made them enemies in our hearts. Father, I'd ask that you re remove that from us as well. Help us in our devotion to you, Father. And as we hear your son knocking on the door of our heart, Father. I'd ask that you tune our ears to hear it, our spirit to know it, and that we, Father, we run to that door. We just run to it, Father. We look forward to the day that we dine with you. We sit on the throne with you, Father. And, Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.